how a mess becomes a message. Pain is a mess, isn't it? Pain can be a real mess in your life, in mine. It could feel messy. And we wonder, what is God doing with it? Is he capable of doing anything with it? But have you noticed that pain tends to slow us down or speed us up? It can hold us back. It can sideline us. In other words, pain can set a pace for your life. It can set a greater pace of purpose. We're going to look at a story in Genesis that really frames the end of Genesis. It's the story of Joseph. Joseph was a maverick. Joseph was pretty full of himself. He was pretty confident in himself. And let's take a look at how the story of Joseph, this whole arc of this story, shows how God uses pain sometimes to, to rein in the maverick, rein that wild horse in, and sometimes to kind of give him a little jab in the side to, to speed him up. We're going to drop down into chapter 41. This is the story, just to remind you, this is the story of, of a man who is the 10th of uh, eventually 12 uh, tribes of Israel. Jacob, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel, named Israel. And Israel has 10 sons at this point. And Joseph is the youngest of those sons. And he is cocky. He's the one with the technicolor dream coat. He's the one with a special coat, right? And he walks around preening and showing off. He's the one who has the dreams. And, uh, and he begins to, you know, this is the haystack dream where, where he's showing that, that he is better than his brothers. And he's sort of rubbing it in, wearing his coat around. And his brothers begin to get kind of frustrated with him. That's an understatement because, I mean... Frustrated people don't throw you into a well or sell you into slavery, okay? But this, we're going we're gonna to pick things up where there begins this redemptive turn in Joseph, Joseph's life. He's already been sold into slavery. He's been accused by Potiphar's wife of, of something he didn't do. He's been spending time in prison, and now he's being called back into a new life in Egypt. Hear God's word from Genesis 41 and 50 selected verses. Joseph is giving this prophetic word to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh, one of the most powerful men, perhaps the most powerful man in the world at this point. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride on his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set over him over all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly 
And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all of my hardship, all of my father's house, and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now to chapter 50, the conclusion of the story. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did, get, did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, you are the light of light, and so we pray that you'd open the eyes of our hearts that we may see not only your word, but to see through it, that all things may be clear to us. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was, uh, when I was young, my surgeon father, I'm sure he was kind of tired from very long, long hours, uh, when I would ask him something like this, I would say, Dad, you know, I'd, I'd take my wrist, I th think maybe I did something to it, and I'd say, it really hurts when I go like this. And he'd say, don't go like this. <laughs> Poor guy, I mean, you know, comes home, tries to be dad, and now he's got to be surgeon again. Don't go like this. Yeah, that was great advice. That, that, usually that took care of the problem. Don't go like this. But sometimes pain persists. Sometimes it just not going like this doesn't do anything to stop pain in your life, whether it's the pain of a betrayal, maybe it's a pain, a physical pain, something chronic that you're dealing with that can grind you down. Maybe it's, maybe it's the pain of anxiety about what's to come that you don't know. But pain in Joseph's life, as, as in your life and in mine, can set a pace of purpose. Your life speaks. It speaks. What's it saying? What is it saying? And is it, is it a message that you really want to send? Is your life sending the kind of message that speaks of faith and hope and love? How do you know? And sometimes God uses pain to sideline us, to slow us down. Sometimes to speed us up. You know, I, I compared Joseph to a maverick, to a horse, to a wild mustang, with a bit in the mouth or a, or a spur in the side. These are the two ways that pain can set the pace in your life and mine. So your character, your, the pace of your life is the horse in this illustration. You are the horse in this illustration. Sometimes pain will slow you down. 
sometimes it will speed you up. Let's take a look at, at the way that, that your life, the pace of it, the pace of it can speak. First, pain can set a pace by slowing you down. Slowing you down enough to where your life speaks of security, eternal security, that you have a future and it is secure. And what, what, what comes under this umbrella is the idea that God is sovereign, that he is just, that you don't have to run the universe, that you don't have to be in charge of, of justice, that you can let some things go. Sometimes pain is a bit in the mouth that slows you down to where the pace of your life speaks of peace. You and I are in a day and age where we have everything at our fingertips and we are drawn into many and much and more. You know, you can have all kinds of conveniences that seem to promise more margin in your life, but what does it do? It tends to speed you up. And Joseph was anxiously running headlong into a future of power, a future where I think, you know, I, I see some anxiety in him, just the level of responsibility that was unveiled about his abilities. And he begins to wield that in such a way that took the power from God in his life. He began to just sort of uh, relate to himself and, and to God and to everyone else as, as someone who, whose, whose pace did not speak of a sovereign God. It didn't speak of somebody who had trust that his future was secure. He was obnoxious. <laughs> he was lording it over. He would take the, 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 the insights that God gave him and he wielded them for his own personal power. Uh, but then, but then, notice that in verse 33, he says this, after he'd been through all that he had been through, where God put the bit in his mouth and sidelined him, slowed him down, said, whoa, Nelly, right? Let's look at verse 33. It says this, now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, set him over the land of Egypt. Now, how do you picture that? Do you, do, you, do you picture him saying, now let the Lord, now let Pharaoh uh, set over Egypt a discerning and wise man, right? Now, is he sort of saying, well, hint, hint, you know, that's me, you know? I, I, don't, I don't see it that way. I, I really see that, that Joseph has taken his grip on life, and he's turned his hands up, and he's saying, I, I'm giving you this insight, and it's yours. I'm not trying to manipulate or turn knobs of my future any longer. And God has gotten my attention and slowed me down to a pace of gratitude. Do you have a pace of gratitude? Are you living your life at the pace of many, much, and more? Or are you living at the pace of gratitude? You know what, what gratitude says? You know, it's hard to be angry or frustrated or envious or anxious and be grateful. 
To live as someone with a secure future means that you really do trust that the sovereignty of God, the justice, ultimate justice of God, that the, that the, the arc of history bends towards justice, your confidence there helps you live at the pace of gratitude. I wonder if you can identify this person. I'm going to read to you his timeline. He lost his job in 1832. He was defeated for state legislature in 1832. His business failed the next year. Then he was finally elected to state legislature in 1834. Then his wife died in 1835. He had a nervous breakdown in 1836. No kidding. He was defeated for speaker in 1838, defeated for the nomination for Congress in 1843, elected to Congress in 1846, rejected for land officer in 1849, defeated for U.S. Senate in 1854, defeated for nomination for vice president in 1856, again defeated for U.S. Senate in 1858. Whoa, you'd think somebody would get a hint. But then he was elected president in 1860. And then after the Civil War, President Lincoln said, Don't I make my enemies, don't I defeat my enemies, don't I defeat my enemies by making them my friends? That's one of the most beautiful quotes of, 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 of American history. Don't I defeat my enemies by making them my friends? Can you imagine what it took for Lincoln to say something like that after so much bloodshed, after houses were divided against themselves. Someone who had, had the depth of gratitude, the sense of the justice and sovereignty of God, only somebody in that kind of posture, with that kind of character, with that kind of pace, could bring the country back together like that. We need that kind of statesmanship again. Somebody who can speak of the sovereignty of God over this deep division in our country. The kind of statesmanship that Joseph demonstrated after all that, that, that he had lived through in verse uh, 51 of chapter 41. He talks about his two sons. And you know, his two sons were adopted officially by Jacob, his father. So, so a grandfather adopting Joseph's two sons. What does that mean? That, that in, in essence, the, the, there's a now 12 sons under Jacob. And 12 in, in Scripture is the number of completion. It's a number that signals completion. It says that God, that, that, that the, the, the arc of history is bending towards justice, that God is sovereign, that God knows and is bringing to fruition his great work, his great plans for our lives. And in Joseph's life, what it rep represented is a double portion, not directed at him, but that his two sons would become part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And his two sons would doubly represent the efforts of his life 
Oh, in a way that he could never have foreseen. His selfish ambition, in other words, his tight grip on life, the headlong, many, much, and more kind of pace of his life was not getting him anywhere. God put a bit in his mouth, a bit of pain. and said, whoa, Nellie, we're going to sideline you. You're going to spend some time thinking about who is in charge of this universe and do you trust it? so that your, the pace of your life can become a message. The mess of the pain can become a message. Jesus, at the end of his life on the cross, the last words he said, it is finished. It is finished. He left his kingdom to 12. 12 who would multiply around the world. Do you see the economy of God at work? In the pain, God can set a pace of his purpose. Are you living at that pace, at the pace of gratitude that says, my future is secure. My future is secure. But your future starts now. Sometimes pain needs to get us going. Not, not to think of the future as, as a way of escaping the present. That's not why we're here this morning. Christianity is not about denial or disconnect from the now. Prayer is not a way to escape the issues that God sets before us or the problems that we are called to solve. Eternity runs under your feet. Your future is secure, but it starts right now. And so sometimes pain is a spur to get us going in the right direction, to start us up again. C.S. Lewis said that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to wake up a sleeping world. And so sometimes God has to wake us up to his purposes, that he is sovereign not just abstractly over human history and as it, as it will finish out in his, as 12 represents that number of completion, there's some sort of pie in the sky by and by. No, he is sovereign over the details of our life here and now, even in and through your pain. Your pain can be a spur to get you moving in a purposeful direction. Not, not denial, not escapism. Joseph didn't pray away the famine. He didn't, you know, and, and likewise, you know, Jesus didn't pray away sin. Now, Jesus spent lots of time in prayer. It's not to denigrate prayer. Jesus went off in the mornings by himself into lonely places. Jesus' life was a prayer. What does it mean that when, when Paul says, pray without ceasing, what does that mean? Does that mean we go around saying, hallelujah and amen over everything? No, it means that your pace, the pace of your life, has a message to it. Your life can be a prayer that says, thy kingdom come. Is the pace and purpose and direction of your life so rooted and grounded in the sovereignty of God that what you're about actually 
is a message that is a prayerful message. That in and of everything that you're doing speaks of that confidence that God is sovereign starting now, not just in the future. That he's sovereign over the difficult parts of your life. He's sovereign over the painful parts of your life. He's sovereign over the hidden parts of your life. When, when Joseph came out, he didn't say, all right, there's going to be a famine. Let's all just sit Indian style and let's meditate. He said, no, let's take a fifth of the produce for the next seven years and let's store it away. God gave him a vision for his life. What was he going to do to steward that vision? How was he going to take that vision and that information? How was he going to take the insight that he had from, from God and, and position it in this world? You know, there's a funny little quip that, um, that uh, Winston Churchill said. And, you know, Winston Churchill's famous for smoking cigars. Uh, somebody said, you know, that, that a friend of his had given up cigars. And he said, well, there goes his last connection with humanity. The idea here is that we're called into the mess of people's lives. We're called into relevant places, into painful places, into messy places. That God is sovereign in the midst. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we're called to move into those places purposefully at his pace of purpose. You know, there's a, there are places in Europe where you can go visit uh, you know, the, the grand cathedrals of Europe, you can see places that um, in the eaves where the craftsmanship is impeccable, masterpieces of stonework in places that you cannot see unless you sort of look behind the scenes. And you know, there's, a, there's a story about this that I think is apocryphal, but I think it probably stems from someone looking at one of these masterpieces and saying, now who would ever see that except the guy who's like responsible for you know, making sure there are no rats in here? But the story goes like this. It, it, it's a story of somebody uh, who walks up on one of these masons creating in, in something artful and saying, you know, no one's ever going to see this. The public won't see it. It's too high. Uh, no one's going to see this except people cleaning the place. And he said, he will see. He will see. Do you have the, the trust and belief that in the hidden place of your life, in the details of your life, that God is present and sovereign there? Even in the places where in your own mind and heart you're reacting to pain, are you trusting that God is present with you, purposefully present with you, that the beginning of your eternal life begins here and now. I love what Marilyn Robinson says about this whole idea of, of those quiet, painful places. She says, I am endeavoring to live in such a way that I can live with myself. To be a person that I can live with. I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. I don't always like me. I don't always live well with me. But I'm told and you're told that you're a creature made for eternity. 
So you're going to be living, and we're going to be living with you for an eternity. Don't you think that God is doing something purposeful with your pain that, that begins right now? That you can become a person you can live with? That I can become a person you can live with <laughs> in eternity? I love this, the finish of this whole story in chapter 50, verse 20. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Now, let's unpack that for a minute because the word is the same. It's the same word. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for, work, for, for good. Hmm. Well, that's strange because God has nothing to do with evil, does he? So how would there be this parallel between the intent of the brothers who intended to harm? How could God then have an intent in their evil intent? The word, the literal word, is weave. Weave. You were weaving your scheme for evil, but in God's dynamic sovereignty, he's able to turn even evil to the good, even painful snags under. It's like that, that image of the tapestry. You've heard this image of the tapestry? You see the top of the tapestry, and it, it all comes together. It all makes sense. But then you look underneath it, and what a tangle it is. You know, I think of, sometimes I think of Sunday morning as a tapestry, right? I'm like, I hope they'd only see the top of the tapestry this morning, right? Because underneath, you know, it's just a lot of tangles. Isn't it amazing? I mean, that's the way Hebrew works, is this parallelism. That there's something happening that is not good. Pain is not good. But can God use it to the good, for the good? You say, I wish my story weren't so tangled. Then I might believe that there is a top of the tapestry, that there is a picture that's being woven, that, that there is a message to my mess, that, that my life is speaking something, that my pace is on pace, that I am in step with the Spirit. I'd like to think that, but Tim, it's just these, some of these messes I just want to keep hidden. On the contrary, the pace of your perseverance can speak. It can be an important place of connection for people who, who's, who know their own mess the way you know yours, who know their own broken places and their own tangles. And they're living there. They're living on the underside of the tapestry. But they, if they can see the purpose, and you know, that, that, that thread that went from this side and then all of a sudden it was supposed to go to the next notch, but boy, a detour came in and painfully you, you were taken all the way to the other side. And they can see the perseverance in the pace of your life. They can see the confidence that God is sovereign that the rest of your eternal life begins now, your life can speak. And your broken road begins to speak in such a way that says that you, you don't have some singular, inaccessible story of triumph. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's a, that's a lot of times what we want to project at people that the Christian life is about sort of getting all the wrinkles out and then we show everyone, see what God is doing. 
But really, that's, that's vain glory. That's, that's just saying, I've got sort of this line on, on, on this prayerful line on God, and, and my life is perfect. Instead, instead, maybe some of those broken and painful places are to show other people your story of dependence on the sovereignty of God for his redemptive purposes, to encourage them that, that you don't have some secret formula that has perfected life and faith, but that the very trust that you have is accessible. And your message says, your mess can become a message so that you can say, he gave me beauty for ashes and the balm of Gilead for my sin-sick soul and a garment of praise for my spirit of heaviness and the oil of joy for my grief. The pace of your life can speak of the sovereignty of God, a kingdom that is coming that starts now. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you are the great weaver of all things, that you work all things to the good, not that we would join together and deny the difficulties of life and say that all things are good, but that you work all things to the good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so, Lord, this morning, give us the confidence that the arc of history is bending towards thy kingdom come, that our lives may be a prayer, even in their pace. In Jesus' name, amen.